be with you again, whether it's uh, in flesh, although there's always some distance between us now, and uh, whether you're watching on a, a device or even listening to a podcast of this, it's uh, wonderful to be able to open up God's Word and share His truth with us. The truth sets the captives free. As Paul was praying there, he was praying and speaking out the truth. But we have to lay hold of it, just like that passage you read in Hebrews at the beginning. To make it a reality, we have to take it by faith. It isn't simply enough to say it, but we have to lay hold of it by faith. I want to share from one of the parables of Jesus with you this morning. It's found in John chapter 15. And... uh, It's the parable of the vine and the branches. Before we read it together, um, I want to put it in context for you. When Jesus is sharing this parable uh, with those that are in front of him, he might have have preached this as well, and he might have uh, taught it in the synagogues, but in this particular context, he's just with the group of eleven. He's met together uh, with them, and so they're not a mixed group of people. They're believers. They're ones who are truly committed to the Lord. And So he's not preaching. He's opening his heart, and he's sharing with them. They've had what we call now the Last Supper, and uh, that was their Passover meal that they would have celebrated uh, every year. And after they've had the meal, remember, he's washed their feet, he's... Uh, Judas has left the room and now the eleven are there. He's got maybe three or four hours, something like that, where he wants to pour out his heart to them because he knows that they will go through the most difficult days of their life that lay ahead of them. The one they have put their faith and trust and dependence in, the one that they've followed and uh, they've, they've suffered as a result of it, He will be torn away from them within 24 hours of this meal and he will be slaughtered on a cross. And their whole lives will collapse, as it were. They will be terrified for themselves, thinking that maybe the temple guard will come for them to arrest them and they lock themselves in, frightened, not knowing what the future is. It was a bit in line with the prayer that you prayed for these people. When we are tormented, when we can't sleep, when the enemy... We feel terrified often. And so these men in this room this day were were experiencing that. And so for the next four or five hours, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't fully appreciate the awfulness of the next 24 hours. But he he spends the next uh, few hours just uh, encouraging them, reassuring them, comforting them. He had all this on himself about what he had to go through. He knew what was coming. He knew what would happen. But his thought is for those that he loves, those that he's with. This is how he sums up as well in John 16, 33. We'll read the the passage in a minute. But this is how he sums up the whole evening. Listen, he says, I have told you these things. We're going to look at some of these things that he He shared with them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
The peace that people need to find in their hearts is found in Jesus Christ. He is the answer. We can find temporary answers sometimes, you know, if, if, if we haven't got the money or what it is, uh, sometimes the money comes and we get temporary peace, only to find ourselves there again, there again. Or, or sickness comes to us or some sort of tragedy happens to us. We lose peace. Jesus is saying, listen, the next three days are going to be awful. Your peace that you're, you're going to lose completely is only found in me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. We don't like that part of it, do we? It's almost like a promise. It's a reality. It's a truth. You will have trouble. But he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We're going to look at some of those things that he shared with them. And I hope you, you've heard them all before, because you've read this passage of scripture before. But in a fresh way, in a new way, you take it on board so that God can minister to you his peace. Four wonderful things, truths then, we can draw from this passage of scripture. There are many, but before I do that, I need to read the, the passage to you. It's John chapter 15, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 17. When a passage is familiar, we tend to not listen. So I'm just reminding us, we need to listen because it's it's common to us. But even as you're listening, you might think, oh, I never quite heard that. Or that's different from what I thought it was. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. In your Bible, it might have a little letter next to that word. It's it's clean as well. He cleans the branches. Okay, not because prune sounds a bit awful being chopped off, doesn't it? It sounds a bit nasty. But he prunes. Another interpretation of that word is lifts them up. He lifts them so they can be more healthy, lifts them off the ground, so that it will bear even more fruit. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. And you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands 
and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have, been, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. There's so much there. It's so rich. Uh, just almost every sentence you could just take it and just study it and study it. And it's so expansive and it's, it's what it's trying to teach us. I just want to pick up on four truths, four things that he said, four statements that I'm sure will encourage you. Was this meant for us or just for the 11 that were in the room? Well, I'm going to work on the assumption because it's in this book, it's meant for us. If it was just meant for the 11, it needed to be recorded. It was just for them. So whatever he was saying to the 11, it isn't simply for them. It's for us as well. It's available to us. So it's as though we were sitting in the room. And just as he's talking to the 11, he's talking to you. You're there. He's saying the very same things to you. The, the first truth, then, I want to uh, highlight here is, is found in verse 16. He says this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, we could get in some big doctrinal uh, wranglings here about um, uh, the free will of, of man and the sovereignty of God. We're not going to go there, uh, because I'm going to apply this in, in such a way that whether you're a Calvinist or Arminian, you end up at the same place anyway. The fact that God has chosen you. You are chosen of God. It says Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The minute you receive Jesus Christ as your saviour, he saw you. It says in his sight, he saw you as holy and blameless. Well, you weren't, were you? And you could even say this morning, I'm not. 100% holy and 100% blameless. But because of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, he chooses to see you as holy and blameless. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's going on. His choice is to see you in that light. To always look upon you in that way. So even if you are messing up and there are things that are going wrong in your life and you're saying and maybe thinking or even doing the wrong thing, God's, God's position towards you is, I choose to see you as righteous. Therefore, I will always act towards you in a particular way. 
before creation was, he chose you. There you go. That needs a little bit of explanation. How could he choose me before even the world was here? I mean, I came quite late in the world. I mean, the world had been going on the best part of, what, 6,000 years before, before we appear. How does this happen? Simply, and I say it simply, I can say it simply, but it's quite a, a complicated thing that our brains can't quite hold off. God doesn't live in time. God lives outside of time. So from God's perspective, he sees everything at once. Already I've lost you and I, you can't do that. You can't see from everlasting to everlasting. You can't see it all at once. We have a timeline. But God, standing outside of time, he sees the whole of everything all at once. Ah, it's beyond me. Of course it's God. So even before the world was formed, imagine he could look through time. He would see you. He would see me. He would see you being born. He would see you living. He would see you receiving Jesus. He would see you dying. He would see you returning with Christ and living in eternity. He sees it all. The minute you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether that was your choice or his, that's why I mean we can do this both ways. We're not going to wrangle about this. The minute you put your faith in Christ, he received you and clothed you with his righteousness and loved you. That was before anything happened. It says that of Jacob and Esau, doesn't it? It says before they were born, before they'd done anything good and bad, the twins, remember, Jacob and Esau, he said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You go, well, that's not fair. Before they'd done anything good or bad, but you see, God could see through time. He could see the choices that Jacob would make, and Jacob was the twister. It was Esau who seemed to be the decent bloke, but see, Jacob wanted godliness. He was, he was a twister, but he wanted godliness. Esau didn't care about godly things. So he saw them. He said, before they did anything good or bad, I loved this one and I hated that one. Can I say that before the creation of the world, God looked and saw you and fixed his love upon you before you were ever, ever, before your parents were ever, or your parents, 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 he fixed his love upon you. Because he knew that when it came to Jesus Christ, and you heard the truth, you would say, I believe, I believe. That's what makes all the difference with God, that we receive Jesus Christ as our saviour. Christ is the centre. He is everything to you and everything that is for you. God wants you to know that doesn't matter what you're going through, you're secure in his love. He can't, he can't stop loving. 
He loved you before you ever came. He's never going to stop loving you. For all eternity, he will love you. You say, but what if I do this, that, or the other? Listen, he will love you, irrespective of those things. He's reserved a place for you in heaven. Didn't he say that later on in that Eden? He says, I'm going to prepare a place. What was he saying to them? He says, listen, we are never going to be separated Let's not fuss about what the place looks like or where it is or anything else. The truth, he says, listen, we're going to be together forever. I mean, I don't really care where it is as long as it's with him. I'm hoping it's on earth. That's where my persuasion's going as I read the scriptures, that he comes here and he establishes something wonderful, a new heaven and a new earth where the two of them come together but I'm going to be with him, and so are you. That's a very secure thought. And I'm unique. So are you. You knew that, didn't you? You're nothing like me. You're nothing like anyone. You're not like your mum or your dad or your sister or your brother. You are unique. Because God makes unique things. He loves to make just one-offs. And that's you. And you are precious. You are priceless. He purchased you with the blood of Christ. He paid for you with the life of his own son that he might possess you. God loves me so much. I truly am the apple of his eye. I don't know quite where that puts you. But I'm in a very wonderful, wonderful, unique position with God. The second amazing truth I've just drawn from this, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Well, just stop, you see, you have to ponder scripture sometimes. You think, well, God must have truly, truly loved Jesus. I mean, the love of God. Everything God does is perfect. So he must love perfectly. And when you think of the purity of his love for his son, and his son never, ever did anything wrong. He, he was perfect. He said, a body you have prepared for me that I might do what you want me to do. Jesus says, listen. With the love that the Father loved me with, that's how much I love you. With that same quality of love. Whoa! You see how he was trying to reassure them that night? How he was trying to encourage them that night? He was just thinking how it all, it's all going to fall apart tonight. They're all going to deny me. They're all going to run away from me. They're all going to be in fear and terror of their lives. And he was thinking, I want them to remember these things now. Whereas the terror comes, the word of God disappears. I know that. And, and, and when we feel that, that's when we've got to pull the word of God back. Because it's that that combats the fear that torments our lives. It's a love we read about in Ephesians. It surpasses knowledge. <laughs> that's a mystery in itself again, isn't it? It goes beyond understanding. He says, the love that I have, you can never fathom its depths or its height 
or its width or its length. It is vast. Nothing is outside of my love. That's what you're saying. It's just from eternity to eternity. Can I warn you here? One of the mistakes that we make when we think about God is we project our limitations on Him. But don't do that ever. You say, I can't forgive that person. How can God love that person? See, you can't. You can't forgive them, and you feel you can't love them, so somehow you think that God can't do it. You're projecting that onto God. Don't do that, ever, with anything. If God makes a statement, and you think, I don't know how that's possible, what you're doing is you're projecting human limitations on God, and he doesn't have those. If he says he can forgive you as far as the east as as from, from the West, you know, take your sin and, and throw it away so that he doesn't remember it anymore. you just got to believe it. You see, we can't do that. You, you do the nasty to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long I live. Uh, I can forgive you, but I probably will remember it, won't it? It won't have the pain. It won't have the discomfort that it first had. But I'm thinking, mm, I'll give that person a bit of a white berth. I uh, would just be a bit careful what I say around them. Oh, and of course, it's not what God does. For God so loved the world, that means us. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but receive the God kind of life. This is love, he says. This is love. Not that you love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not knowing whether you would receive him or not, he crucified his son for you anyway. You say, well, others have got saved. No, not knowing whether you would respond positively, he did it for you. That's his atoning love. to listen uh, to this it's one of the psalms it's psalm 103 actually uh, and this tells you how much God loves us it says he forgives all of our sins he heals all of our diseases now don't try this one out people struggle with this if he forgives all your sins and in the next breath he says he heals all your diseases don't accept the one and throw the other one out now there are always conditions and we have to think through some stuff but the first statement is just as good as the second and the rest you believe anyway so you might as well believe that one he redeems your life from the pit you're not going to hell he crowns you with love and compassion he satisfies your desires with good things he renews your youth like the eagles he works righteousness and justice for the oppressed he is compassionate and gracious don't forget he is a holy God. So him and sin don't get on too well together. But listen to, to the mercy of God in the next view. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He will not harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. 
And the psalmist finishes these with these great statements. His love is as vast as the heavens. <laughs> That's, God is everywhere. So if God is in the heavens, the vastness of space is the vastness of his love. His love is as vast as the heavens. He removes our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. He is compassionate to his children and to their children's children. He knows we are weak and our lives are short. And he loves us. Every second of your life, even before you ever came to him and accepted his son as your saviour, he loved you with an everlasting love. The third truth I want to draw from here is found in verse 2. It says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes or cleans or lifts up, as I said, so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus' Jesus's will for your life is that you are fruitful, that you bear fruit. And he's doing everything in his power to enable your life to be fruitful. We say, well, what is this fruit then? Well, the most obvious fruit, I think, that stands above all others is the fruit of love. He is turning you into the greatest lovers in the world. Not, not a, a romantic love, but a strong, powerful love. That's, that's the fruit that he's developing. Remember in Galatians, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. There is only one fruit of the Spirit. Then he goes on to separate it into different parts. But it's all about love, those other descriptions. He wants you to be fruitful in the gifting that you have. The scripture is clear that he gives us all giftings and whether it's the work you do day to day or it's the giftings in the church or whatever giftings and talents and abilities that God has graced you with, he wants you to be fruitful in them. It's terrible if people find themselves in a place of work where they're not happy and their gifts are being, being exercised, they feel most miserable. God wants to make us fruitful in the giftings that we have. Materially, spiritually, relationally, physically, he wants us to be fruitful. In our body, our soul, and our spirit, in our mind, our will, and our passion, he wants fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. In coming to Jesus, you were cleansed of your sins, it says. Interesting here. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Then he makes this statement. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He sort of said the similar thing to Peter. Remember when he went around washing their feet? And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. That's, that's too demeaning. I'm not letting you do that. He says, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part with me. Well, he says, oh, no, I'm here for this then. Wash me all. He wants a, a full job. And, and Jesus says, no, he says, 
you're already clean. It's just there's areas in your life that need cleaning, pruning, dealing with. He's saying the same sort of thing here. He sort of said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You were saved by listening to the word of God. Isn't that interesting? It is the word that cleanses us of sin. You say, I thought it was the blood that cleansed us. Well, sometimes that expression is used, but the blood redeemed you. It was the ransom price paid for your life by Jesus to God. So you were redeemed by the blood, but you are washed, sanctified by the word of God. The word of God washes us. It cleanses us. Do you remember the parable of the sower? It's also called the hundredfold return. He says, if you don't get this parable, you'll not get any parable, so it's important you get hold of this one. He says, listen, it's the word that changes lives. It's the word that makes difference. He says, the word comes and you can lose it or it gets choked up or all those awful things that happen to it. But he says, listen, the word that finds its place in the heart of a person will produce 30, 60 or even 100 times what was planted in it. It is the word. It is the word that sanctifies us. The word of Jesus, or the words of Jesus, as they enter into our heart, can cleanse us and transform us enabling us to bear more fruit. The last thing the devil wants you to do is read the word or listen to the word. And so we, most of us starve ourselves of the word of God. We don't get enough of it. And then we wonder why things aren't sorted out as much as they could be in our lives. Sometimes we blame God because he doesn't live up to his word, but he could come back to you any minute and say, listen, this, this is a covenant. You do this and I'll do that. I'll do this, but you must do that. And, and through here we see covenant promises. He says, listen, if you do this, I'll do this. But we pray often and say, Lord, will you do this for me? And I think if God could talk to you man to man and say, I can't do this for you because it's a covenant I'll do this if you do that. If you don't do it, I can't do it. So sometimes we're praying for things that are inside the covenant that we shouldn't be praying for. We should just be receiving them because we're fulfilling our part of the covenant. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is number four now, the last one. It's found in verse 14. He says, you are my friends. You are my friends. Have you considered yourself in that light? A friend of Jesus? He definitely says he's your friend. He says it more than once here, like towards the end of that passage. He says that you are my friends. In the Old Testament, there are two people that we know about who were friends of God. They were Moses and Abraham. What I discovered about these two men that's different from other people in the Old Testament is that when God wanted to do something, if it involved his friends, 
he would go and talk to them about it. Remember when he came one day uh, and he spoke to Abraham and he said, I've heard terrible things about Sodom. Now God knew that Abraham's nephew or possibly adopted son was living in Sodom. And he says, I've heard it's so bad, I'm just going to wipe the place off the planet. It's so evil. And remember, before he, he decides to do this, he says, I must go and talk this over with my friend Abraham to see what he thinks about it. And of course, they have this dialogue, and Abraham uh, draws him down, doesn't he? So if there's ten righteous, he won't destroy Sodom. He chatted it over with him. And when we come to Moses, remember God is so angry with their grumbling and complaining and moaning day after day after day. God says, I've had enough, Moses. I'm just going to get rid of the lot of them and we'll start again with you. And he goes, God, no, you can't do that. So he enters into a dialogue with him. Jesus says, listen, I call you my friends because... I share my business with you. It actually uses that word. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Do you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to share his business with you. He wants to say, you are so precious and valuable to me. I want to talk this over with you. Let's, let's talk about what's going to happen in Perryville. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the nation. Let's talk about the pandemic. See, if you are a friend, and that friend keeps secrets from you, and you find out about it, you get quite angry. Because you thought, I thought we were really close. I've been open with you with everything, and now I find from other people, you've kept things secret from me. God says, listen, I'm your friend. I won't hide anything from you. Everything that my Father has shown me, everything that I know, everything that can help you to get into a deeper relationship, a more personal relationship with my Father, I will tell you. I'm not hiding things from you. But see, we have to press in to be the friend. We have to realise he wants to be our friend. When I first heard this, I started asking God stuff. Well, Jesus, really, because it's Jesus that he'd be my friend. And as we start asking him questions, he doesn't sort of answer immediately, but he does come through with answers, gradually. As you keep talking to him, when the time's right, he reveals things to you. He chose you. He chose you. He loves you with the purest love that's possible. He cleanses you continually with his word. And he's your dearest friend. He is, whether you appreciate it or not. There is no friend like this one. He is your dearest friend today, has always been, and will be for eternity. See, it's, it's Jesus. He is the true vine. What does that mean? It means he is the source of life. Amen. Yes. He is 
because you can have a bush that has grapes on it, but if there's no vine, if there's no life, if there isn't the life that's flowing through it, there are no grapes. He is the source of your life. And he has so much for you, and he loves you so very much. God bless you all. Amen.